Thanks, Travis. I um, I knew if I just sat there, you'd get you'd be you you would get the uh, the cue to come up. But thanks so much for reading scripture this morning. Well, it's great to have all of you here, and uh, it's been. How many of you were blessed this morning by hearing what God did and the students there? Um, they can't hear your hands, so. They, they... <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for being here and being a part of this morning. You know, when uh, Denise and I arrived over at Grace Church in Normal in 2000 to serve in, as the student ministries pastors, one of the first non-students that I had the opportunity to actually get to know was a gentleman by the name of Andy. Andy was 80 years old, so he was not a part of the youth group. But he was one of the most unique and one of the most precious people I've ever known. He had served in World War II as a fighter pilot uh, in uh, the European theater. And after the war, he had come home like a lot of soldiers did. He married his childhood sweetheart. They began to have children, and he began a career as an iron worker, um, usually doing uh, welding And so Andy had two of the strongest hands I've ever seen in my life. Now, he also had a deep love for Jesus. Andy had served for decades as an elder, a Bible teacher, and a mentor to young men. And he had memorized hundreds and hundreds of verses of Scripture. Andy was a walking concordance. Regardless of the moment or the occasion or the need, Andy had an appropriate Bible verse that would go with whatever that was, and he was quoting Scripture all the time. I'm not exactly sure why, but soon after Denise and I had arrived, he took an interest in me and in my ministry as well as in our family. And he'd walk up to me in the church foyer on a fairly frequent basis and He'd come up, and he would take one of those hands, and he would clamp it on my shoulder. And when he would do that, I would think, I'm going to need rotator cuff surgery someday. But he would speak a few words of encouragement, and then he would speak a few words of appreciation for me and the ministry that I had with the students there. He would tell me how he loved and was praying for Denise and for our family. And then he'd quote a Bible verse, a different verse each time. And it took me a while to understand what Andy was doing because he would paraphrase the verse just a little bit. But what he was doing is he was turning that verse into a prayer. So one of the verses that he had said over me probably more than once was in our reading this morning, Philippians 1.6. But Andy would come up and say something like, Lord, may Len know that you have begun a good work in him and in his ministry and you will bring it to completion. He'd give me another squeeze on the shoulder as the amen. He'd give me this big smile, and without saying another word, he'd just walk away. See, Andy wasn't just saying a verse to me. He was taking that verse, and he was praying it over me like a benediction. And he did that numerous times in the years that we knew him. Unfortunately, it wasn't that long after we had arrived just a few years that Andy went home to be with the Lord. And I really miss him. Because when he went home to be with the Lord, I lost a friend, I lost an encourager, but most importantly, I lost a prayer warrior and a prayer partner in my life. 
When I was studying this particular passage this week, Andy, in fact, came to mind. Because Andy was giving me the gift of appreciation and encouragement and of prayer. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in this passage of Scripture that we read together this morning. Paul is giving to this group of Philippian believers the gift of appreciation. He's going to give them the gift of encouragement. And he's going to assure them that he is praying for them. Now, last week we began this new series on Paul's letter to the Philippians that we're calling Experiencing Joy in Real Life. And I want to just take a moment to recap that a little bit, and then we will get into the passage that uh, was read. Now, if you remember, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting trial before the Emperor Nero. The result of that trial is either going to be his acquittal, release, and freedom, or it's going to be a guilty verdict, his condemnation, and his execution. It's going to be one of those two things. And he's waiting to see what, it's, what the Lord has in mind. Paul needs funds to be able to pay for all of his housing expenses, or else he's going to go to prison. And when the Philippians, had, uh, the church in Philippi, had learned about his situation and about this need, they had sent a generous financial gift to him, and it had been delivered by a friend of his by the name of Epaphroditus. Now Paul is dictating this very warm and personal letter to the Philippians, and in part he's just saying thank you. you know, thank you so much for your gift, for your love, for your support. But being Paul, he's also going to take the opportunity to give them a few words of encouragement, a few words of instruction that apply or connect with some of the different things they were actually going through and experiencing as a church. But as we saw last week, the primary theme that Paul is going to weave like a thread throughout this letter is the theme of joy. It's the theme of joy. It's going to use the word joy and rejoice 13 times in these four short chapters. And he's going to teach us how we can experience real joy in the Lord. Not just some emotion that in a moment ignores the realities of life or the challenges of life. But this is a settled joy in the Lord that we can experience in real life and through the real challenges. We looked at Rick Warren's definition of joy, and he had written that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And then for our series, we we shortened that. And we have defined joy as the settled assurance and confidence in God that leads me to praise Him at all times. Joy is that settled assurance and confidence in God that leads me to praise Him at all times. And so here in the first chapter of Philippians, after an extended hello in verses 1 and 2, Paul is sharing with, these, uh, with them that he prays for them. That he prays for them. And in verses 3 through 8, Paul is sharing the fact that he's got a joyful gratitude for them. And then he moves on in verses 9 to 11, and he begins to share his heartfelt desire for them and their experience and their walk with the Lord. Now, we're going to look at verses 9 to 11 next week, but this morning we're going to dive into verses 3 through 8, and we're going to learn this. Paul's going to teach us this. 
He's going to teach us how we can experience joyful gratitude for each other. How do we and how can we, as a church family, experience a joyful gratitude for each other as we are in this church family together? And so he's going to give us four things around this idea of experiencing joyful gratitude for each other. And the first is this. Remember the good and the godly things about each other. Remember the good and the godly things about each other. He starts in verse number 3, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know, Paul mentions in almost every one of his letters that he prays regularly for all the churches that he is connected with, probably daily. And you can imagine Paul settling himself in for one of his prayer times at some point during the day. And he begins to bring the churches up one at a time. And as he brings the church up, he prays for them. And so he thinks about the church at Corinth and the church at Athens. He thinks about that church, home church in Antioch and in Lystra. And then he thinks of Philippi. This is a special group of people. And they have a special place in his heart. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul undoubtedly loves all the churches. And he loves all the people in those churches. But as we saw last week, there's a uniquely close and intimate connection that he has with the church in Philippi. Paul had only spent a few weeks there But this connection runs deep, and over the past decade, they have been the only church to financially support him during his ministry. Maybe it was through the gifts that were delivered and the fact that people would have been bringing those gifts that Paul had gotten to know some folks really close and had developed this close relationship with them. And when Paul thinks about this church here in verse number 4, he had said, I have a special joy when I pray for you. Now, when Paul remembers the people in the events at Philippi, he thanks God for them all. As they come to mind, he just says, thank God, I thank you, Lord, for all of these people and for all that you are doing in this church. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, everything and everyone. But in Paul's mind, he can still picture the people. And he can still hear the voices. He can still remember that moment when God's mighty hand had come in through that earthquake and released him from prison. He remembers Lydia on that morning that they had been at the river and she had heard the gospel and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she became the first convert to Jesus on the European continent. He remembers that slave girl that Christ, through Paul's hand, had freed from demon possession. So instead, she was now in Christ through faith. He remembers God's mighty hand as he frees him from the prison with that um, earthquake and then the conversion of the jailer and his family. 
And there had been others who had come to faith in Jesus in the weeks that Paul and Silas had been there. And as they were getting ready to leave the city, they had gathered all of them together in in Lydia's house. And Paul can see every single one of their faces as they had encouraged them and as they had prayed over them. And then they had said goodbye and then they had left the city. And as Paul thinks about all of this and as he thinks about all these different people, he says, I can just do one thing. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Now, making the decision to remember the good and the godly things about each other does not mean that we ignore the shortcoming and failures that are a part of all of our lives. We simply choose that we will look beyond them. Paul knows that there are shortcomings and there are failures in the church in Philippi. In fact, he's going to deal with some of those things later in his letter. But here he is going to say, as he thinks about these people, as he thinks about these special spiritual siblings, as he thinks about all that God had done in that church, he chooses to look past those things in this moment and he remembers them with a joyful gratitude. He remembers the good and the godly things about them first and all that God has been doing in their midst. Maintaining a healthy relationship as a church family is not an easy thing sometimes. It takes a high level of commitment to the Lord and to each other. It also at times takes a lot of work. There are times when those little quirks that make each each one of us uniquely and wonderfully made agitate each other and so we prayerfully learn what paul means when he says bear with one another and accept one another for who you are there are times when we're going to need to resolve differences that rise up there are times that we need to restore relationships that start to fracture a little bit for whatever reason and there are times that we need to heal wounds because sometimes we hurt each other but we work at accepting each other. We work through and deal with those differences. We experience healing in relationships. We take care of those hurts, and then we choose to remember the good and the godly things about each other. And then Paul moves on in verse 5, and he gives us a second thing, and he says, focus on our partnership in the gospel. Focus on our partnership in the gospel. Verse 5, he says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the word partnership here is a familiar word. It's the word koinonia that we often translate fellowship. And it means that there's something we share in common and there's something that we support each other in. And what he's saying is when it comes to the ministry of the gospel, we share this ministry together and we, we, and we support each other in it. Now, the Philippians have been sharing in this partnership in the gospel three different ways. The first way is they themselves have placed saving faith in Jesus as their Savior. They themselves have received the gospel, many of them through Paul's ministry, and now they recognize that they are related with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they share in the gospel because they have this shared faith in Jesus. And that faith binds them together into, their, into this church family. 
they also have continued to share the love and the gospel of Jesus throughout the city of Philippi. And we know that because the church has continued to grow as people have put faith in Christ since Paul and Silas left. And so that means the church is sharing the gospel. They are sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And they are experiencing people coming to the Lord and becoming a part of their church fellowship. And so in that way, they're sharing in a partnership with the gospel. And then a third way is they are supporting Paul in his ministry. They are supporting him with their prayers. They're supporting him with their finances. And they're supporting him with their love. And so they're partners in the gospel through a personal faith in Christ. They're a partner in the gospel because they are actively sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus in the community in which they live. And they're sharing in this partnership in the gospel because they are supporting Paul who is touching lives they'll never touch and interacting with people they will never meet this side of glory. But through their prayers and through their, their love and through their finances, They are partners with him in his ministry and everywhere that he has gone. And we have that same partnership. We share that same partnership because we are partners in the gospel together. You and I and all of us together, we share a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he has brought us into his family And you have discerned that he has brought you into this church family. And we are brought together by that common faith in Christ. And so we share in the gospel together through faith. We share in the gospel together because we've been given that same mission of Jesus to make disciples as we share the love and gospel of Christ with the people that we already know, the people that are around us in our lives, the people that we interact with as we show them Christ through our living and then we share Christ with them as the opportunity arises. And through our missionary family, we extend our outreach to the world as we support them with our love, with our prayers, and with our finances. See, we, we have this partnership of the gospel, and when you and I choose to focus on this partnership in the gospel, the common faith in Jesus we have, a common commitment to this community to bring Jesus to them, and a shared commitment to our missionary family as they take the gospel around the world, when we focus on that partnership then we will grow in joyful gratitude of each other because we'll be working together. And we'll have that common cause. We'll have that common focus. And we will have that common experience of Christ working in and through us as Jesus Christ is made known. You know, few things bring more joy to an individual or to a church than seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. There's nothing like new believers coming into the church through the ministry and the testimony of the people of that church and then becoming a part of of a church family. And so that's why as we're moving forward, and we've already talked about, we're going to be praying for conversion growth here. Praying that our church is going to grow as we are sharing Christ and people join us in faith and they become partners of the gospel with us. A third thing that we do so that we experience this joyful gratitude for each other is we remain confident that God will continue and complete His work in our lives. 
We remain confident that God will continue and he will complete his good work in our lives. Verse 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something that Paul is very sure of. The word here is to have a firm and settled confidence and assurance that leaves you saying, no doubt. We have no doubt that God is going to complete this work that he has begun in you. It's a reminder that this work of redemption in our lives, this work that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ, began because it is God who opened our minds and God opened our hearts to receive the gospel in the first place. It is God who gave us the gift of faith to be able to respond to the gospel in the first place. And so He is the one who began this relationship the moment that you and I asked Jesus Christ to come into our lives that moment that we receive forgiveness, that moment that we are brought into a right relationship with God, we, it is all because of God's work and God's grace that we are able to have that response and understanding of the gospel. And so Paul says, remember, it's God who's begun this work in you. He's brought you to his son. Now, when we think about where our relationship begins and we're This takes place where we accept Christ and we experience forgiveness and we are brought into this right relationship with God. The theological term that is used as well as in Scripture is that we are justified. We've been made right before God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the power of His resurrection. And the work of God begins. He says that this work that God has begun is completed at the day of Christ. It's completed at the day of Christ. That is that moment that you and I actually see the face of Jesus, whether it's through death or through his return. And in that moment that you and I will see the face of Jesus Christ, we will be made complete and we will be made whole because finally... Sin has absolutely no effect on us, and we are exactly who we were created to be in full relationship with God forever. And we call that being glorified. And in between these two things that take place in our lives, that begins with faith in Christ and forgiveness and being in the right relationship with Him and seeing the face of Jesus Himself and experiencing being glorified, God is working to transform us more and more to be like Jesus. It's a continuous, constant process and progression as He works in our lives so that we become less and less like we are in ourselves and more and more like Christ as He lives in us. Call that sanctification. And and here's something that is important to understand when you look at Scripture, and especially the writings of Paul. When Paul talks about our salvation, that is an overarching term. He's, He's referring to all three of these things in our lives. To say that God is saving us is more than the moment you accepted Christ. It is the moment you accept Christ and then continuing that that process in which God is changing your life to the moment in the future where you'll be glorified, 
All of that is the work of salvation in our lives. God has done so much more than just save us from our sins. He has brought us into that right relationship with God. He's transforming our lives so that we can live to the glory of God. And one day we will be exactly like Christ except for His deity because we will be glorified in His presence. And Paul says the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand this. He will bring you home. God will bring you home. He will complete everything from justification to sanctification to glorification into His presence. And we remain confident that God will continue and He will complete His good work in our lives. Now sometimes we need to hold on to that promise when we're having some personal struggles. Those days or times or seasons in our lives, we can't see how God's working in a particular moment. We don't understand where God is in a particular situation. Or we're dealing with that weight that comes when we recognize that we have had a failure in our lives. Or that we've made one of those decisions that's led to unintended consequences that we're dealing with. In those moments, it's so important that even there, God continues to work. God continues to work. It's also sometimes we need to give each other some space and grace while God is doing His work in others. You know, those times where somebody else, you're disagreeing with them, or maybe they've irritated you, or you're upset about something, or you just go, I don't understand what that's all about. And God goes, just give them some space and some grace, because I'm working in their life too. And we need to give each other that space and grace. And sometimes we need to hang on to our hope when a loved one walks away from God. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this verse. He writes, You may have a good friend who is not walking as close to God as he or she once was. And here is a fresh hope. Rest in the confidence that God has neither lost interest or lost control. The Lord has not folded his arms and looked the other way. That person you are concerned about may be your son or daughter. Find encouragement in this firm confidence. The one who began a good work in your boy or girl will bring it to completion. He will finish the task. I repeat, that firm confidence in God's finishing what he started will bring back your joy. And then the fourth thing that Paul gives us in this passage about having this joyful gratitude for each other is cultivate an authentic affection for each other. Cultivate an authentic affection for each other. Picking it up in verse number 7, Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
For 10 years, this church family in Philippi has supported Paul at all, through all the ups and downs of his life and of his ministry. They supported him when he was traveling city to city, sharing the gospel and planting churches and what we might consider his, his fruitful ministry. But they've also continued to support and be there for him while he's in house arrest in Rome, being accused of treason against the Roman Empire. They're still there. And the support has been a lot more than just monetary because later in the letter we're going to see Paul thanking them for their love and concern as well. See, this has been more than just a check in the mail. Paul and these precious believers have cultivated a close relationship. They've cultivated authentic affection for each other. And so Paul is able to write, I yearn for you, I desire to be with you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that I've learned through our years of ministry is Denise and I have served in different churches, is that everything that happens in the church is relational. Everything that happens in the church is relational. There are no just tasks. Because everything that happens within a church involves people. And because it involves people, it's about relationships, no matter what it is. Sometimes we can forget that. We can get a little busy. We can get focused on just getting things done. We can walk up and think if we put a little oil on the gears and keep the wheels turning, that's really what this is about. And God goes, no, 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 I've brought you into a family. Even what looks just like activity is about people, and because it's about people that I love, it's about relationships all the time. And we're going to be talking about how we can be cultivating authentic affection for one another in all the different things that we do as we move forward over the next weeks and months ahead. But this passage is a great place to start. You see, if we remember the good and godly things about each other, even as we do deal with the other things, but we always come back, I will see the good and godly in you. If you and I will focus on this partnership we have in the gospel, this faith we share as far as in common, this faith we share into the community, and this faith that we share through our missionary family, that we are committed and passionate about that partnership that we have together. If we remain confident that God will continue and complete his good work in our lives, we will be cultivating authentic affection for each other, even as those things are taking place, just like it did for Paul and his relationship to the church in Philippi. Now, all of this comes back to prayer. It's good to remember that Paul actually started with, I pray for you. And so this is about prayer. And very few things will bring a church together like prayer. Very few things will help us build and grow an authentic affection for each other, like taking time to pray for each other, but also taking time to pray with each other. And so we're going to be talking about how to pray for each other next week, but what we're going to do right now is we're going to take some time and we're going to pray with each other.
as we close our time together this morning. And we're going to pray specifically over the next stage of the intentional interim process that we've been going through here since uh, this past fall. Now, right before Christmas, we announced the, uh, the formation of a transition team. And that team is going to be playing a key role as we move into this second stage of this five-stage process. And it's a stage of assessment. Team's going to be doing three things together over the next few months. We're going to take a look back and we're going to be reviewing and understanding the history of Grace Bible Church. We're going to look around in the present and we're going to be examining data from various assessment tools and get an accurate picture of where we are right now. We're going to be asking the Lord, show us our strengths, show us our weaknesses, show us the opportunities you have for us in the future, and show us the barriers that will prevent us from getting there. And then we're going to look forward. We're going to determine what those key issues that need to be addressed now, those weaknesses that need to be developed now, with specific action steps that we can begin to take forward as a congregation. This team is going to has made quite a commitment because we're going to be meeting weekly. And we're going to be working through things like the MIT church survey report from that church survey we did back in November. We're going to talk about what we've discovered at the journey wall experience that we had. We're going to look at a summary of those 41 conversations that Denise and I uh, enjoyed having with you earlier this fall. And there's some other tools that we're going to be looking at as well. And then we're going to be presenting a comprehensive assessment report, first to the leadership and then to the congregation. And that report is going to be designed to help the um, church see the direction that God has given to us and the first steps in moving in that direction. Now, the transition team is going to start meeting this week, as Josh mentioned, Thursday night. And so we desire your prayers as we get started. We're going to be asking you to pray for us in the weeks ahead, but now we're going to ask you to pray for us before we begin right now. And so I'm going to uh, let, introduce to you again the team members. I'm going to ask as I introduce them if they would make their way up to the platform. Um, and that's Jerry Eisenberg, Josh Lehman, Muriel Madsen, Gloria Nofsinger, Dave Neust, Mary Beth Peterson, and Dave Rutier. And so these are the seven members of the transition team that will begin meeting this week in doing the work that I mentioned to you. I would now like to ask those men who have served as deacons in the past here at the church, would you please come up? Because you are going to lead us in prayer over the transition team. So if you have served as a deacon, would you please make your way up and just sort of intermingle amongst the team members that are here? going to give you a date to circle on the calendar if you would and that's february 5th and don't worry it's the sunday before super bowl (laughs) the conference championships of the week before and who in the world wants to watch nfl players play flag flag football so there's nothing to watch that night and so we're going to be having a our second family prayer gathering we're going to be right here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m 
And we're going to give a little more detail of what this next step of the process is. But more importantly, we'll be taking some time to pray together. So more information is going to be going out about that. And so, Josh, did you happen to bring the microphone up? Right over there. All right, so gentlemen, um, if you would just hand the microphone from person to person and then um, pray as the Lord leads you, and then I will close our time in prayer. And then would you please join us as these gentlemen pray on behalf of the congregation now. I guess we're on, right? Before we start, I just had one question for Penny. Did you say Polar Plunge was your favorite? I just want to make sure that's what you said. <clears throat> All right, we think of Grace Bible Church. And as I think of that, yeah, I was saved at this church 50 plus years ago uh, by a member of this church. And I look back on, on how things have happened in the uh, 50 plus years that we've been here. We started off, we were a great youth group, still still have a great youth group. We were big on missions. Uh, we sent missionaries out into the field. We brought people in from uh, Bible college and established satellite churches. Uh, we brought missionaries, we brought uh, people in from uh, the colleges. And, uh, you know, I think of one uh, that we brought in here 13 years ago. Uh, out of Bible college. Um, now he's gone off the RHMA. And it's a perfect transition when he left. You know, we knew that nobody felt well, this, was, this was a mistake and we could tell that it was God's leading. So we just prayed for that. We just pray for this transition team that you'll, you'll continue to lead us as we go through this. And we just ask this in your name. Heavenly Father, we continue in prayer, and we do pray for the future of this church. We thank you for this church, what it's meant to many of us, but today we're praying for this transition team, and uh, we pray that they could uh, work together uh, and, and, uh, in a fashion like the verses we just studied in Philippians, they could support each other, and we do pray that they would be all open uh, to new ideas, listen to each other and love each other, and let your spirit lead them. And uh, we just pray for this time, and we thank you for the commitment they've made. In thy name. Our Father, we're thankful to you this morning um, for um, the leadership that. Um, has brought in uh, Pastor Len and Denise here and brought us to this point of a next step uh, with this team, and we, we just pray for them. We pray for that they would be discerning of who and where we've been and... Um, where we are now and what you have in store for this church and help us help them see things in the community where we would be able to do more 
um, we pray for your working in them that they could work with grace with one another to um, present their views and be submissive to to others' concerns and we look forward to being able to see your working in them to bring about unity in uh, decisions and and guidance from your spirit um, so that the church can um, be confident that what we're hearing from them is is from you and uh, I just we look forward to being amazed by your working Lord in in Jesus name Dear kind Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. Thank you for this transition team. Thank you, Lord, that they have all volunteered to do this uh, work that they're dedicated to as they look for the past and the present, and most of all for the future, what Grace Bible Church, your church, can look forward to. And just be with each one of them, give them wisdom. Give them the opportunity to be able to speak their thoughts to each other and and be unified and say to go forward and be with our congregation also, Lord, as they uh, as they support them throughout this time. In Christ's name, we pray. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for um, your work, past, present, and Lord, anticipated in the future. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift, Lord, of, of Grace Bible Church in this community. The gift, Lord, of, of being able to be together as family for all the lives that have been touched and impacted that are being touched and impacted. And Lord, that will be touched and impacted by we, your witnesses and your family, your representatives and your reflection in this community. And so we do pray over this team. We pray, Father, that we will experience unity and humility and love with each other, that we will experience your wisdom and discernment as we go through all of the different pieces of data and information that we have and begin the process, Lord, of bringing understanding as we move forward. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And together, the family of God says, amen. You may, be, you may go back to your seats. Thank you. And thank you for praying. Um, just wanted to also mention, uh, you had it written here, and I still forgot to say it. Um, I will be serving as the team leader um, and of the team, and um, Denise will be serving as secretary. And so we'll be a part of the process and working with them as well. You know, as we get ready to sing the last song, I just wanted to um, to share real briefly one thing that I thought about as I pictured this morning. Um, we've had the blessing of seeing three or four generations on this platform this morning. You know, the opportunity to see what God is doing in the church today and the students and in their parents' generation and in their parents' generation and I don't even want to mention what the rest of you are, but up to four generations that we have here today. 
And that is one of the beauties and one of the strengths of Grace Bible Church is we are a truly intergenerational church. And I was just blessed to be able to watch this morning. And again, students, thanks so much. Uh, the, uh, the deacons that came up to pray, thank you so much for no, not only for this morning, but for what you've met and the leadership that you've provided for this church. It's brought us to this point. And for the transition team, um, really looking forward to working with you and seeing what God has for us in the future. So continue to pray. And uh, we'll, hopefully we'll also see you back out for that prayer time on February the 5th. Let's close with joy, shall we? Stand and sing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless and have a wonderful week.